chapter 12, verses 28-34. Hear now God's Word. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, that is Jesus, which is the first commandment of all. And Jesus answered him, the first of all, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no, no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared ask, no one dared question him. Thus far, the reading of God's word and all God's people said. You may be seated. Graduates, we have given you new Bibles today for the simple reason that the Bible is the most important book in the whole world. Your new Bibles are inscribed in the front with a text from Joshua 1.8 that says, This book, the book that you're holding, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written therein. And then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and be of good courage, do not be afraid nor dismayed, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you truly grasp the significance of this, you will not neglect this book or leave it on the shelf, but you will wear it out with use. This word, this law of God, which you are to hide in your hearts and meditate on day and night, speaks to every area of life. Dr. Cornelius Van Til put it succinctly this way. He said, the Bible is thought of as authoritative on everything of which it speaks. Moreover, it speaks of everything. We do not mean that it speaks of football games, of atoms, etc. directly, but we do mean that it speaks of everything either directly or by implication. It tells us not only of Christ and His work, but it also tells us who God is and where the universe about us has come from. Now, we know that everyone wants to prosper, but how to prosper and what to prosper in, those are the real questions. For example, the Bible warns that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the way thereof is death. So if you head out from here to pursue prosperity your way, I can tell you now that your story will not end 
well. So we all need a guide. We need someone who has been there. We need someone who knows where he's going. And this is why we are followers of Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We gave you Bibles because the Word of God is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. And we all need His laws to direct our steps. Now, there are a few places in the Bible where we are given summaries of the law. The whole Bible is the law of God, the Word of God. But there are places where there are summaries. The first is found most famously in the Ten Commandments, which give us a framework for understanding the whole Bible. The rest of the Bible is kind of a commentary, an unpacking of those commandments, if you will. Another place is when Jesus takes this a step further in our text today, and he condenses the Ten Commandments into two summary commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Those are easy to remember. Now, we may not dispense with the rest of the Bible simply because we have been given a summary. Rather, we will use the whole Bible to unpack these condensed statements, which will enable us to understand how to love God and how to love our neighbors. In fact, in Matthew's account of this interaction with the Pharisees, Jesus concludes with these words, Of these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, hang all the law and the prophets. So today I want to unpack a little of this for the graduates and offer you some needed perspective as you launch or as you commence into the next phases of your lives. See, I'm not so interested in knowing what it is you want to study, though I would be interested to know that, or what you want to do. What I'm really interested in knowing is who you want to be. Who you want to be. If it's true that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, then I'm asking each of you graduates, along with everyone else, a more fundamental question. Who do you want to be? And so I'm going to give you today five necessary things that you will need if you are going to know the full measure of God's blessing on your labors and loves. In other words, if you're going to truly prosper in this life. These will be essential if you're going to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. These will be necessary for your relationships with friends, family, a husband, a wife, your children. These will be necessary if you are to truly prosper in your ministry and in your work. And all of them are the outworking of the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. First, the first and most necessary thing that you will need is an unabashed love for Jesus Christ. Unqualified, unabashed No reservations. This has to be settled in your own mind and heart from day one. 
There can be no kind of, or maybe, or I'm pretty sure, or I hope so. You are either all in as a follower of Jesus Christ, or you are not in at all. Jesus said in Mark 8, 34 through 38, Whoever desires to come after me, whoever desires to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the starting place. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And so I urge each of you to look to and lay hold of your baptisms which set you apart unto the Lord. And I urge you to resolve afresh again today that going forward, Jesus is my Lord. He is the boss of me. I owe Him full and unreserved allegiance. I have died to myself, not my will, but His will be done. Now, this is simply the application of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, God says. Not only should this be clear in your own heart and mind, but it should also be immediately evident to anyone who knows you. If they've spent any time with you at all, no one should ever have to guess about your love and loyalty to Jesus Christ. If your total... Commitment to Him is established and settled. It will show in every way. It will show in how you talk, in how you work, in how you serve, in how you dress. Everybody will know. Love for God and love for neighbor are inseparably tied together. In Luke 14, 26-33, Jesus clearly lays this out again. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, Jesus said, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So let me summarize what Jesus just said. First, you must prioritize your relationship to Jesus over all other relationships. Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, and I'll go ahead and add your boyfriend and your girlfriend. 
Second, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross. That means die to yourself and follow Him. And third, again, the Bible doesn't ever stop short. You must forsake all your possessions for Christ. In other words, you must love Him supremely. First place, at the very top. And when you do, He will send you back to yourself. He'll send you back to all your relationships. And He will send you back to your things. And now you will really know how to love them. Loving Jesus is where we begin to learn how to love our neighbors. The second necessary thing you will need, and these are not necessarily in order of priority, the second necessary thing you will need is humility. Humility is evidence that you have gained a right perspective on who God is and who you are. As the Apostle Paul exhorted in Romans 12.3 that you should not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but rather to think soberly. If you are truly humble, that means you are beginning to see yourself as you really are, which is needy, as a child, as a dependent, as a recipient of God's mercy and His grace. And so humility is both necessary, and as I've said many times, it is always attractive. The Bible teaches us that the way up is down. Likewise, you younger people, Peter writes, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares on Him, for He cares for you. Humility is the acknowledgement that you don't know it all. And it is a great indicator of maturity. Maturity always involves true humility and respect for others. Humility is the only place where you can really learn and grow. Remember, James and John were very eager, the disciples of Jesus, very eager for honor. Here's what Jesus told them. Here's how to get honor. Mark 10. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave of all. And again, he teaches them to follow his own example. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And of course, the opposite of humility is pride and boastfulness and arrogance, which are ugly. And the Bible warns pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Thus, humility is another way that we love God and we love our neighbors. 
The third necessary thing you will need is gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God, of, uh, will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know God's will? Give thanks in and for everything. That means even trials, difficulties, hard days. King David offered up this prayer in First Chronicles 29. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willing as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. We are only giving back what you first given to us. Thus, gratitude is a primary way that we love God and love our neighbor. Romans 1, in Romans 1, it is those who failed or refused to give thanks to God who failed to show him gratitude, that were given over to their own lust and to destruction. And one of the ways we show love to God is by offering him our thanks. Psalm 79, 13, So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. We're to show thanks Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, Therefore by Him, Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So as we give thanks, we are also giving. Giving of ourselves, giving of our material things, giving of our time, giving of our service. That's part of thanksgiving. God has given me so much, and now I'm going to show my thankfulness by giving it back to Him and to others. And this is also why regular corporate worship is central to your prosperity. This is where God's people gather together in love and gratitude for God and for one another. Psalm 100 tells us, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He that made us. See the humility here? He made us, not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. And into His courts with praise and be thankful to Him. And bless His name, for the Lord is good and His mercy everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Graduates, never skip worship, for here we are reminded weekly of God's goodness and gifts. Paul warned Timothy, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money and boasters and proud and blasphemers and disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, they probably go to church or do something spiritual, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. So among other things, it is perilous to be unthankful. 
We not only must be thankful to God, but one of the ways we love our neighbor is by showing them our gratitude. You can start with your imperfect parents and your imperfect siblings. And from there, you can give thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Remember, love is always about self-sacrifice and service. And so we spend time with them and we seek their counsel and we laugh with them and we cry with them and we eat with them and we pray with them and we serve them. And so Paul writes in Philippians 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from this first day until now. That's the kind of prayers we ought to offer, prayers of thanksgiving for the people that God has put in your life. And as I sit here and look at this front row, there's a whole bunch of people behind you in your life that got you where you are. And as little kids, we often take all that for granted, but you're not little kids anymore. It's time to look behind you and remember and to see what you've been given. The simple expression of gratitude is powerful. Thank you for, and you fill in the blank. I appreciate what you did for me. To be thankful is a state of being. To give thanks is an expression of what you are. To give thanks is a true gift to others. So first, be thankful, and then second, say so. Don't forget to send your thank you cards. Thus, gratitude is another way we love God and we love our neighbors. The fourth necessary thing you will need is diligence. Second Peter 1, 5 through 11, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God has set task today, today, God has set today's task before you to test you and to train you for even greater things. Even when no one else is watching, God is watching. He saw young David when he was out tending to those sheep, those few sheep as his brother referred them referred to them, Eliab, in a put down, but he was faithful in that task, and while he was out there and no one was watching but God He learned to use his slingshot. He learned to play his harp. He learned to write poetry. And he had no idea what God was going to do with all that. But we do. God made him the shepherd of Israel. He made him a great warrior. He made him a great poet. A great harpist. 
David didn't know. But God was going to do all of those things and he was going to take that faithfulness that was developed in obscurity and use it in great ways. Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Part of diligence is seen in keeping your promises and commitments. Psalm 51 asks, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? And it answers in verse 4, He honors those who fear the Lord and who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Do what you say you will do. Diligence means following through. It means working hard, again, even when no one else is watching but God. Uh, Proverbs 14.23, In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads to poverty. Proverbs 21.25, The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Don't take the shortcuts. Not only work hard, work excellent. At the heart of love for God and neighbor is service and sacrifice, and this will require diligence throughout your life. Your diligent labor will enable you to provide for yourself, to provide for your family, and to provide for others. Paul instructs in Ephesians 4.28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that which is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. You see, a lack of diligence, laziness, is a form of theft. Proverbs 24, 30-34, I went by the field of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding, and there it was, all overgrown with thorns, its surface was covered with nettles, and the stone wall was broken down, and when I saw it, I considered it well. He said, What can I learn from this? I looked on it and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Diligence is that ability to see beyond the moment, to do your duty and to trust God for the future. And you're going to need a spouse. You're going to need that in a spouse. And that means your spouse is going to need that in you. Thus, diligence is another way that we love God and love our neighbors. And finally, the fifth necessary thing you will need is kindness. Titus 3, 1 through 7, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves also once were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And here's that word I love so much in the Bible, but. But when the kindness... And the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through 
Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so since you, since we are followers of Jesus, that means we are to be imitators of our Heavenly Father, even as He imitated His Heavenly Father. He was kind to us, and therefore we must be kind to others. Kindness is the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. In Jason Farley's excellent little book, In Pursuit of Kindness, he says, God began by speaking our neighbors into existence. We are to continue building them into the stature and fullness of Christ Jesus by building them up with our tender-hearted words of kindness and forgiveness. Paul exhorted us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. We have all been sad and we have all been discouraged. We've all been mistreated. And we have all known the power of a kind word. Kind words show concern and care and attentiveness toward those who suffer. It's easy to be kind when we want something from someone. It's easy to be kind to a friend. Why is it so hard to be kind to a sibling? Jesus said we are to even be kind to our enemies. You're going to need a lot of kindness shown to you if you're going to prosper in this life. And this means that you will need to deliver kindness to others first. And this brings us back to the Bible where Jesus said, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And remember the great commandments, love God and love your neighbor, hang on all the law and the prophets. Thus, kindness is one more way we love God and love our neighbors. So as you consider these five necessary things, let me ask you, does this describe the kind of person you want as a husband or a wife? uh, Is this the kind of person you want to be the father or mother of your children? Well, if so, that means you're going to have to be that person first. Why would this kind of person settle for anything less? Karis, Katie, Rena, Susanna, and Gabe, I'm asking you to do something with your life that matters. And what matters are the eternal things. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We will soon find out whether you fear God or men. We'll soon discover your real priorities, and it won't be long before everyone will know who and what you love. The pressure is going to increase on you to follow some other master, some other Lord, and only an awareness of God's presence will protect you. That is the fear of the Lord. It will, as Psalm 119 says, require a person who seeks God with his whole heart and who does not wander from his commandments. Knowing that God is watching, 
knowing that to him you will give an account, knowing that by his kind providence your sins will find you out, and that is a blessed providence. And so I have watched many a fool allow this kind of wise counsel pour in to one ear and out the other. Inconsistent with what Proverbs says about the fool, he nods approvingly when the Bible is quoted, but promptly sets out to follow his own path. Karis, Katie, Rena, Susanna, and Gabe, do you have ears to hear? I certainly hope so and will be praying that you will take these things to heart. Let's pray. O God, our Father, you have been our refuge and dwelling place in all generations. Before all creation and from all eternity, you are God. But as for us, our days are like grass as the flowers in the field. We appear but for a moment and the wind passes over us and we are gone. O Lord, make us to know the end and the measure of our days that we might know how frail we really are. May we reflect on the vanity and the brevity and uncertainty of things seen and temporal. And may we pursue those things which are unseen and eternal. Father, we rejoice today at the sight of these young people that you have called to yourself. You formed them in their mother's wombs and have numbered their days. And we pray that you would continue to direct their steps and make their path straight. Grant them the wisdom of Christian humility and the grace of Christian charity. Protect them from temptation and from those who would do them harm. Establish them in righteousness and equip them for service and prosper their way and grant them your peace. And may, may it be obvious to all who know these five graduates that they are building their lives upon the sure foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. May they adorn the gospel and remain steadfast of one mind and spirit with your people and unafraid and fill them with your spirit and give them and us, a hunger and thirst after righteousness. In the days ahead, make their ears attentive to wisdom and incline their hearts to understanding, and may they seek seek for it as for hidden treasure. We ask your blessing now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. I'm going to read again uh, in preparation for the table from Second Peter 1, 5-9. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound in you, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. We all face daily challenges that test our Christian character. Now, it's very important to remember that our virtue, if it is indeed genuine Christian virtue, is there only by the grace of God and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, because we have no virtue in ourselves, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so we look to him and him alone to form in us that which is pleasing to him. Gratitude for his grace is what motivates us. And when there is little or no gratitude for the grace of God, then there will be little or no virtue. 
We come to the table of the Lord with humility, remembering that we what we were and what we have become in Christ. We come with gratitude, acknowledging that we need Him to nourish us and to help us. Having come and having feasted on Christ, then we go forth to live little by little, bit by bit, knowing that He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Amen. O Lord, give us delight in your word. May we search it, love it, long to keep it, and seek seek it with all of our hearts. For you are revealed therein. Guard our lives according to your living word as we lay it up in our hearts. Judge all the ideas of men by it and convey its teaching to others, longing for them to know it and obey it. Cleanse us from rationalizations, excuses, and half-hearted obedience. And teach us to meditate upon your word day and night. Let it be our food and drink. Now we pray, Father, that you would bless your people and comfort us with your word by your Holy Spirit. Bless now our feast and our rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen.